please turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. As you turn your Bibles there, I would like to give thanks to this opportunity to humbly come before you today to preach and teach and communicate the Word of God. I am humbled by this opportunity. As I was wrestling these past few weeks on what to preach today, I came upon this passage under the circumstances in believing that my relationship with God was as good as it could possibly be. And as I read through it, I realized I was very far from the truth. Being busy with school, with seminary, and as pointed out by our pastor, being in a relationship and doing ministry here at the church, I had begun to neglect what was most important in my life, and that was the Lord. So as I prayed and meditated upon this word, it really struck me as something that I needed to share with everyone. Something that we all need to hear and be reminded of. Because what is necessary in our lives is Christ and Christ alone. So we find ourselves this morning in the third gospel. It's the third book of the New Testament written by a Gentile who is also the writer of the book of Acts. Now Luke was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. And by trade... A doctor. And he's one of the greatest biblical historians and investigative reporters in history. Now, Luke was not an eyewitness of the ministry of Christ. Instead, he reports accurate eyewitness accounts and testimonies that he compiles into what we know to be the gospel of Luke. Luke states that his knowledge of the events recorded in his gospel comes from the reports of those who were eyewitnesses. Now, other than that, we don't know much about him. But we do know for sure is that he was a devoted Christian, a faithful friend, a loyal companion, and follower of Christ. Now, although Luke dedicated his work to the most excellent Theophilus, it is almost certain that Luke intended to write to a much larger audience for his work than this singular man. The dedication is more like a formal dedication you find in modern books today. Luke's writing style is that of an academic. He wrote as a detailed historian, often giving details that help identify the historical context of the events he described. Now, what is clear is that Luke's gospel was written with the intention for the readers to know, for you and I to know, That the gospel is for all. Now with a high profile given to the healing ministry of Jesus and women. One of the main running themes in Luke. Is Jesus' compassion for all people no matter who they are. From Jesus' public ministry to the final words of the Lord on the cross. Luke highlighted the theme of Christ's ministry to the outsiders of society. Additionally, Luke's gospel possesses the fullest account of the nativity in comparison to all the other gospels. 
And distinctively, Luke dedicated 10 chapters to a travelogue of Jesus' final journey to Jerusalem. Now we find ourselves this morning in what many commentators call the heart of the Gospel of Luke. Within one of the 10 chapters that tell us of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem and his relentless progression to the cross to seek and to save the lost. Now, starting in chapter 9, verse 51 and onward, Luke reveals to us the final weeks and days of the earthly ministry of our Lord and Savior. So let me set the scene for you. From Galilee, Jesus makes his way through Samaria, stopping by a village that rejects him. And from there, Jesus meets three would-be disciples who learn right away the cost of following Jesus. Now, from there, in the beginning of Luke chapter 10, we can read about the sending out of the 72, who are described as the lambs in the midst of the wolves. We learn that they are to live by faith, be focused on their mission, that they are to extend their blessing unto houses who bless them. They are to be content with what they have. They are to be flexible. But most of all, they are to proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, later in verses 17 to 20 of chapter 10, we read of their joyful return. And from that whole ordeal, we learn that the purpose of their ministry was preparing Jesus' path to Jerusalem. Then a lawyer, seeking to justify himself, questions Jesus, to which Jesus replies through a parable Of the Good Samaritan. Now we come to where we are this morning. Jesus and his disciples travel and end up two miles east of the temple in Jerusalem on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives, on the road linking Jerusalem to Jericho. He and his disciples arrive in the village of Bethany. Now, the village of Bethany was about a half hour's walk from Jerusalem. Not that I know that personally. I Googled that. (laughs) Google's very useful nowadays. And amid Jesus' unyielding advancement towards the cross, in the ordered account of Jesus' final weeks and days of his earthly ministry, Luke reports of a visit to a friend's house. The story that we are focusing on today is unique to the gospel of Luke. You won't find it anywhere else there. The question is, why? Why of all the stories for Luke to choose, he chooses to talk about this? Why is this so important That of all the witnessed accounts, he decides to report this. What makes this story so important for us to know as believers? Well, if you will, please stand with me as we read the word of God. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, that is Bethany. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. 
And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And that is the reading of the word of the Lord. You may all be seated. Now, looking at the passage, we see that there is a clear distinction between Mary and Martha. And the difference between them is their priorities. And in those priorities, we see where their priorities are and who their priority is. So this morning, we will be examining two kinds of priorities, just two. And those priorities are priorities that we as Christians are to be aware of in our own lives, especially as Christians. It's a very simple thing we're learning today, and that is the good priority, a priority that is bountiful, profitable, favorable, and by all intents and purposes, correct, versus the bad priority, a priority that is unfavorable, spoiled, disagreeable, and by all intents and purposes, incorrect. Through this examination, you will notice differences between what a good priority is and what a bad priority is. And those are what characterizes a good and bad priority. Where good and bad priorities lie and who good and bad priorities serve. Now, a priority is a choice between something or someone an event or an activity, a service or labor that you and I have decided deserves a more substantial portion of our attention. It is an option where you are determined to give a more considerable amount of your effort to whatever it may be. It is what you have decided to be essential and must be dealt with before anything else. In short, a priority is something or someone, an event or an activity, a service or labor that you have deemed worthy of your time, your effort, your attention, and your love. Now, as other options and alternatives surface, we begin to sort out those options and alternatives against what we have already prioritized. The cycle never seems to end. Today, we live in a world where our priorities are divided amongst many things. Is that true? It's true. However, I'm not going to list every priority. So instead, I'm going to create a typical list of what usually people prioritize. Things like school. 
work, family, dating, <clears throat> friendships, service, and relaxation. And in this day and age, our time, effort, and attention are split between those types of things that I just listed. And a person's ability to balance and successfully accomplish things are defined by how they manage to do all these things at one given time. Our normal human tendencies are distraction and overindulgence. We begin one task, then get seduced by some other option and lose focus as a result. We drift away from what is difficult and what we know to be true to what is comfortable and socially condoned. Thus, it is safe to say that our natural predisposition as Americans is to try to take on a lot of things at once and make them all a priority. Then, when people ask us about those priorities, we're like, well, let me rank them for you from the least to the greatest of my priorities. So now, in of them, oh, so sorry. Now, in of themselves is school, work, family, dating, friendships, relaxation, and things like that wrong and sinful? Well, not really. Well, God ordained the education of his people and saints. God ordained financial provision and blessed the character of an individual who works hard. God ordained relationships because as humans, we are created to be relational creatures. And rest, well, we all know it is definitely ordained by God to be good. God ordains us to serve and to be of service unto others. So what makes them wrong and sinful? When do they become wrong and sinful? How do they become wrong and sinful? And why do they become wrong and sinful? Well, let's look at our text to do that. In verse 38, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Jesus was well known to Martha and her siblings. In fact, Jesus loved this little family. And on this day that Jesus is visiting, Martha's desire was to be a good hostess, to be hospitable, to, ser to serve the best meal with the best possible presentation for Jesus' sake. Now, so far, so good. We look at that and you're like, wow, that's a great woman. She's got her priorities in line. Jesus is coming and she's trying to prepare everything. She's like, it's got to be the best for the Christ himself. And as we continue on in verse 39, we read, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, Mary of Bethany is one of the most amazing characters in scripture. And we can learn very valuable lessons from studying her life. Now, Mary, as is pointed out in the, ver in the scripture, is the sister of Martha. And her brother is Lazarus. Whom, spoiler alert, 
Jesus raised from the dead. That's if you did not know that. Now we see Mary three different times in the Bible, beginning with this particular event in the home of her sister, Martha, where Jesus and presumably the disciples who traveled with him were being entertained. And as we continue on, we read in verse 40 that Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, and that is Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Now let's pause there. Now Martha, from what we just read, is distressed. And distracted with much serving. So much so that she gets frustrated with her sister who is not helping. Martha snaps and speaks rather abruptly to Jesus. So, the good and the bad priority. Now, the good priority, we can study that in verse 39 alone. If you look down with me, a good priority is characterized by certain things. And Mary demonstrates that to us in a certain number of ways. First of all, is her humility. Notice, ladies and gentlemen, that Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, in biblical times, to sit at the feet of the teacher is considered to be the proper place of a disciple. That is where a disciple should be. It recognizes that as a person who is a disciple of whoever it is that's teaching is that you don't know as much as that person. That that person has authority over you and that you do not have any. Mary chooses to come to the feet of Jesus. She's sitting right there. Sitting and simply doing what? Listening to his teaching. A good priority is characterized by attentiveness. Notice that she is listening to his teaching. There is a difference, ladies and gentlemen, between hearing the word of God and listening to the word of God. Listening is an active participation from the person. Listening means that you are internalizing what you are hearing. Mary's attention is entirely on Jesus. Which in turn shows us what? That a good priority is characterized by devotion. She is completely, in this moment, devoted to Christ and his teaching. All of her love, all of her time, 
all of her attention is on him. She has decided to not do anything else but to sit and listen to Jesus. Now, time and time again, we as Christians, when we look at a person like Mary in this moment, we tend to try to define whether or not we're like her. It's like, oh yeah, I do that all the time. I sit down, I listen. But the question is, are you actually doing that? Or are you simply trying to justify yourself because you think you're as good as what is mentioned in Scripture? Mary is humbly, with all of her attention and devotedly, sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him. She's internalizing what is going on and what is he teaching. That is her only focus. There is nothing else in this text that tells us that she's thinking of other things, that she's doing other things, but that her singular priority is who? Jesus. However, how is a bad priority characterized? In contrast to this, let's look at verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him. Let's pause there for a second. I want you guys to picture this scene that's happening. In the previous verse, it's clearly stated that Jesus is teaching. Okay? Now, Martha, in this moment, distracted with all of her serving, decides... That while Jesus is teaching, this is a good time to tell him something. It would be like as if if the pastor was up here preaching, and all of a sudden, someone from the crowd decides to walk up to him and be like, I have something to say to you. You would think that she would have known better not to do that. Unfortunately, that's not what happens. Instead, she goes up to Jesus. Okay? She decides to interrupt Jesus while he's teaching. And what does she do? She decides to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen. I mean, presumably we would hope that's what would be said next. But no, instead it says, and she said, Lord. I love how she begins this whole thing with respect. She recognizes who Jesus is, ladies and gentlemen. It's not like she doesn't know who Jesus is. She's like, this is the Lord. But what comes next is, do you not care That my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her then to help me. 
she leaves what she's doing. She goes up to the Lord and Savior of the world. And she tells him, do you not care that I am serving by myself? And that my sister, awkwardly enough, she's right there at the feet, that my sister has left me to serve alone. And then what does she do next? Tell her then to help me. Now, when I read this, all I could think about was my mom. Now, blessed enough, she is not here. But I remember being a pastor's son. We would always have people in our house. And I remember one time we're getting everything ready. So my mom's in the kitchen preparing food and she tells my brother and I to set the table. There's guests coming and we're trying to do everything. And my friend walks through the door. He's like, what's up, Paul? And I'm like, hey, so I leave. Obviously my friend's here. I want to go entertain my friend. And if you don't know me, I love to talk a lot and I love to talk to my friends. So I walked up to my friend, obviously. Now my mom God bless her. She's an amazing woman. She's standing right there, and, the, and her face is just. Now, my dad is sitting down, okay? She walks up to my dad. Now, me and my friend are in the living room, okay? And she walks up to my dad, and she goes, do you not care that your son is over there? I'm here serving for everyone. Tell your son to help me. Now, she said that in a much more louder voice so that I could hear her. What makes me laugh, ladies and gentlemen, is the fact that Martha, knowing fully well who Jesus is, knowing fully well that he is teaching, decides to interrupt this whole thing because she is angry. She literally walks up to Jesus and implies that Jesus does not care about her. And then she decides to give the Lord a command. She's commanding Jesus. She says, tell her then to help me. She's demanding that he force Mary to assist her in serving. Now, Martha started off really good. We were like, wow, she just really wants to be a good hostess. To serve the best meal with the best possible presentation. Then all of a sudden, her priorities take a drastic left turn. Ladies and gentlemen, bad priorities are characterized, first of all, by pride. Notice that in this entire verse, is it about the Lord or is it about Martha? She pridefully and arrogantly interrupts the teaching of Jesus and makes it about her. 
She's like, Jesus, do you not care about me? That my sister has left me alone to serve. She brings attention to herself. I'm doing all of this for you. How come you don't care that I'm doing this by myself? Worst of all, we don't even know what Lazarus is doing. He's not even mentioned in this story. It's all about her and what she's doing. It would be like you walking up to someone who clearly knows more than you. And you tell them to notice you. I think about the student who's sitting in the classroom. When the teacher is teaching and and the student decides to interrupt them and be like, do you not care that I'm over here taking my notes? Look at them. They're over there talking. Furthermore, ladies and gentlemen, a bad priority here. It's not just characterized by pride, but anxiousness. Now, everyone in here, and I know it's not just me. We get anxious about things, don't we? We worry about a lot of things. Now, Martha, she's what? Distracted with much serving. She's busy thinking about everything else that needs to go right. Is the food cooked? Is there enough plates for everybody? Like, is everything ready? She's thinking about so many different things that she forgets who she's speaking to. And furthermore, in her priority, we see that she's angry. How do we know that? Because she's saying that the Lord doesn't care about her and that her sister has left her alone. You cannot tell me that she said that in the most happy tone. She didn't say, Lord, do you not care that my sister... I'm pretty sure that's not what happened. Because my mom didn't sound like that when she said it. And finally, her priority does what? It creates... A division. It creates a conflict. It creates dissension. She's making it seem like she's doing better than what Mary's doing. Mary who's sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening versus her serving. A good priority, ladies and gentlemen. Its priority lies... In a relationship with Christ. In the listening and meditation of the word of God. In contrast, a bad priority. It lies in what you're doing. In what you are thinking. And in whom does it lie? Ultimately yourself. Here, the good priority of Mary is completely focused on Christ. It's all on him, to the listening of his word, to the meditating of his word. It's in Christ himself. 
versus Martha, whose priority lies in what she's currently doing and what she's distracted with. It's in herself. How many times throughout the week, throughout your day, is your priorities based on what you are currently doing? On what you are thinking? And that it's about you. The priority is you. And what does Jesus have to say about all of this? Well, let's look at his reply. In verses 41. But the Lord answered her. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Let's look at how Jesus answers and assesses Martha, assesses Mary, sorry. Jesus' response gives us our first insight into Mary of Bethany. Jesus praised Mary for choosing the good portion, meaning that Mary's desire to be near her Lord and hang on to his every word was far more valuable. Jesus further said that in choosing to learn of him, it would not be taken away from her. In choosing Christ, it would not be taken away from her. In choosing Christ, it would not be taken away from you or I. What Christ is saying here is a statement. He is declaring that if you choose me, it will never be taken from you. That it is the better choice. What is admirable to notice that in this entire situation, Mary does not say a word to defend herself. In fact, the one who comes to her defense is who? Christ. Her lack of concern in defending herself is not dictated by self-preservation, but is instead characterized by what she chose to make a priority of. Her actions spoke louder than what her own words can do. And because her focus was on Christ, because she chose to prioritize Christ, the Lord saw and said that it was good. Mary has chosen what is necessary and thus has chosen the greatest possession one can have and that is a close fellowship with Christ. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her which echoes what the psalmist praises in Psalm 119 verse 57 the Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. However, of Martha, 
as we read. But the Lord answered her. What I love about this moment, ladies and gentlemen, that although it's a very awkward moment for everyone, Martha has come out, said that to Jesus. Presumably all the disciples are there. Mary is sitting at his feet. And what does Jesus do? Does he yell at her? In his correction of Martha, he corrects her in love. His words, Martha, Martha, is showing that he does notice her, that he does care for her. But what does he say to her? You are anxious and troubled about many things. From this event, we learn that those who are distracted with the tedious and earthly are building upon a foundation that in times of testing will not be remembered in eternity. This is not to say that serving or being of service is terrible or sinful, but to serve or to be of service devoid of Christ is. The ability to serve And to be of service is a natural result of a relationship with Christ. That puts him at the forefront of it all. Martha's rebuke of Jesus gives us an insight into her heart and mind as she tried to make everything perfect. And was so distracted that she lost sight of Jesus. Martha had chosen, has chosen to be anxious and worried about many things, which have caused her to lose sight of what is necessary. She incorrectly prioritized what she was doing versus drawing closer to the Lord and Savior. Both Mary and Martha are disciples of Jesus. These two women deal with Jesus' visit in two different ways. Careful reading of the context shows us that Mary had been in the kitchen with Martha until Jesus started teaching. Notice that Martha said that her sister left her to do it all. But Jesus knows that neither Mary nor Martha can live by bread alone. In Matthew 4, when Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy, he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes to the mouth of God. It was now time to digest some spiritual food and feed the soul. The other things in this case are not bad things. However, sometimes even good things can fill up our lives to the point where we neglect our souls. God has not blessed us with our families, friends, jobs, and abilities, and other gifts to give us an excuse to abandon a close walk with him. Without him, we can do nothing. Without him, We are nothing.
Now, is that the end of the story for Mary and Martha? No, it is not. If you turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 11, we see how these women progress in their walk with Christ. Now, in Mary's second appearance in John chapter 11, verses 28 to 32, we see the rising of her brother Lazarus. When Mary hears that Jesus has arrived, she immediately leaves the assembly of mourners in her home and rushes to meet Jesus. She leaves those who had comforted her to place herself at the feet of the greatest comforter mankind has ever known. And in her third and final appearance in John chapter 12, in verse, in John chapter 12, or in Mark 14, 9, as Pastor Ben had preached last week, we see what she is remembered for. Mary broke an alabaster jar, poured a pint of costly perfume on Jesus' head and feet, and wiped them with her hair. In spite of criticism from some disciples about the waste of costly substance, Mary said nothing. The three times Mary is mentioned, we learn that she represents the importance of prioritizing Christ and his teaching, which is a result of a motivation that is characterized by Christ. A desire to fellowship with Christ and his word. She possesses a settled conviction and confidence in the Lord, no matter what the circumstance. How often do we jump at the chance to justify ourselves in the eyes of others who criticize and mock us, particularly where our faith is concerned. But if we, like Mary, make sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him our priority, will we have the depth of understanding her passion for Christ, and her complete faith in his plan for our lives. She displayed a humble devotion and love to Christ no matter what. Now Martha, in her first appearance in the Bible in Luke chapter 10, Starts off good until we see what happens to her and her priorities when she makes it about her. However, the second time she appears in the Bible in John 11, Jesus finally arrives at Bethany four days after Lazarus dies. And Martha runs out to meet him and declares that if Jesus had been there, her brother would not have died. And that she knows that even God will give Jesus whatever he asks. Notice here the drastic change from when we first see Martha to where she is now. Notice her faith. She firmly believes that Jesus could have healed Lazarus of his illness. 
And her faith is not weakened by the fact that Jesus had arrived late. Jesus encourages Martha, and her response is one of great faith and understanding of Jesus' divine nature. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Martha's faith is rewarded that very day as she witnessed her brother's miraculous resurrection. And in her final appearance in John chapter 12, verse 2. There's only one thing said about Martha. Martha served. The third time we meet Martha in the Bible, she is doing what she is known for. Serving. But the three times she's mentioned, ladies and gentlemen. She represents the importance of prioritizing what is necessary and thus finds the balance between service and true worship, which should result from a motivation and a desire to glorify Christ. She possesses the ability to learn and trusting the Lord, even when all seems lost. And she displays that we are to use what we have been given to glorify God. How many times over do we think we're Mary, but when we're actually Martha? A lot of times in our lives, we think that we need to do this, 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 this. And we think they're all good. Because, you know, God ordained them. God says they're good in the Bible, so I'm okay. But if you neglect your relationship with Christ, if you neglect listening to his word, you are not the better for it. You are the poorer for it. It is not an excuse just because you're busy throughout your day to not be in a relationship with the Lord. Just because you were saved, that does not mean you can stop talking to God. It would be as if I were to stop talking to my girlfriend for three weeks. I don't think we would have the same relationship. And the same goes for Christ. If you're in a relationship with Christ, you don't just stop talking to him. You don't just stop listening to his words as it is preached and teached. You don't stop meditating on his word. Because I guarantee if you decide that today is the one day... You listen to his word. And three weeks later, you're like, oh, maybe I should go do it again. Your relationship is definitely not the same. It is not an excuse to be busy. To have all these numerous types of priorities. And somehow Christ is fighting to be at the top. When he should have always been there. Earlier I asked you if school, work, family, dating, and friendships or relaxation is wrong and sinful. What makes them wrong and sinful? When do they become wrong and sinful? How and why do they become wrong and sinful? From the text we learned that What makes them wrong and sinful 
is what they stand for in your life versus what Christ stands for in you. When do they become wrong and sinful? Is when they become a distraction and begin to pull you away from your relationship with Christ. From Christ himself and from his word. And how do they become wrong and sinful? It is how they take priority in your life versus the priority of your relationship with Christ. With Christ himself and the listening and meditation of his word. And finally, why do they become wrong and sinful? Because you have neglected your relationship. You have neglected Christ. You have neglected the listening and meditation of his word. What I'm trying to get at is that our attention, time, and love have been pulled away from what we need to be focused on. We have become distracted from what is necessary. And as a result, we have improperly prioritized things. We have lost sight about what is truly important. And in the midst of the busyness of our lives, of our goals and ambitions, we have forgotten about our first love. Much like what happened to the Ephesians in the book of Revelation. To remedy that, we must learn to focus on what is truly vital in our lives, and that is Christ. Our relationship with him. We need to go back to our first love and realize that without Christ, if we do not prioritize Christ in our lives, the distractions of this world will ultimately deter us from what is eternally significant. In Luke chapter 10 verses 30 to 42, the two kinds of priorities we learn of is the types of priorities we have as Christians today. They're either good or bad. One demonstrates a priority that possesses eternal value. And the other loses focus and incorrectly prioritizes what does not. In this passage, good and bad priorities illustrate to us a devotion to Christ. A love of Christ and a worship of him. Or it does not. So ladies and gentlemen, one of the chief lessons that Jesus taught earlier in his ministry can be found in his Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, verses 31 to 33, he says, Do not be anxious, then saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Having the correct set of priorities... Putting Christ and his kingdom first will significantly reduce your chance of a heart attack. Okay, maybe not so much. But having the correct set of priorities in Christ will greatly benefit you spiritually, eternally, and ensure that during trials and distractions of this world, you can rest assured that you have a father in heaven who will see you through it all. When you prioritize Christ in your life, what comes is the joy of knowing him, growing in your relationship with him. And you come to the realization that eventually the things of this world will fade away. But Christ will always be eternal. Christ and his ministry, Christ and what he has done on the cross, 
The very word of God is irreplaceably sufficient and deserves our fullest and devoted and worshipful attention, time, and effort. It deserves to be the priority of our lives. And if you do not know Christ today, I ask that you talk to someone, one of the pastors or elders of this church, and learn why he should be the priority of your life. And as Luke makes a point of knowing, it is because you need the gospel. You are a sinner. And without Christ, you cannot be made right before a holy and righteous God. So as you walk out here today, I pray and hope that you listened attentively to the word of God. And that you walk away from here with the intention to make Christ a priority in your life. Because if Christ is not a priority, we are truly the poor for it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your grace, for your mercies that are new each day. I pray, dear God, that you forgive us for not making you a priority within our lives when you should be. We thank you so much for what you have done on the cross. And I thank you, dear Lord, Heavenly Father, that just like what happened with Mary and Martha, that is not where it ends. That if we truly choose to prioritize you and to grow in our relationship with you, we are the better for it. I pray, dear Lord, that as we walk out of here today, that your word did not simply come out, come in one ear and out the other, but that we internalize your truths. And I pray, dear God, I pray that you be with each and every one of us. And for those who do not know you, that they come into a saving relationship with you. In your Jesus, in your precious and wonderful name. Amen.